Well, good morning. It is good to see you. It's good to be back. Uh, I was in Austria for the last couple weeks uh, on a mission trip to uh, House Edelweiss. Well, good morning. Well, good morning. Greetings from your brothers and sisters uh, really scattered across Eastern Europe. Uh, it was just an amazing time uh, to connect uh, with these young men and women and uh, just hear what God is doing over uh, across, the, across the pond. Uh, it really is amazing uh, what's going on. A couple things to make you aware of before we get started today. Uh, the company who for years has provided our communion bread uh, recently went out of business. And so uh, we found a new one. It's very good. Uh, but just wanted to kind of give you a heads up that today when the trays go by, it, it's going to be a little different than it has been. Um, that will continue on because we can't get the old stuff anymore, <laughs> okay? Uh, so uh, I personally kind of prefer it, uh, so I'm, I'm excited about that. The other thing is, just to reiterate, I heard that Fred said something about this last week. Um, I know that some of you are wrestling uh, in your heart with some of the decorations on stage. You're like, is this Halloween? No, and John mentioned something about it before. In Romans chapter 5, it says that sin leads to death. We're having a serious conversation about sin. And sin leads to death. <laughs> and when you think of the image of death, what comes to mind? This stuff. It's not designed to correspond with Halloween. It's designed to get our brains in the right frame of mind to think about what sin leads to. There's a reason they're called deadly sins. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this day. We're grateful, Lord, for the rain. Uh, grateful for the cooler uh, temperatures coming. The reminder, God, that you are in control uh, and, but also that you do not change. Um, and you are faithful to us every day when we wake up. Your grace is made new for us. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are not told in Scripture about the primal origin of sin, but the Bible does give us a clue as to how it entered our universe. There are two passages which in their context are about earthly kings. The passage from Isaiah is about the king of Babylon. The passage from Ezekiel is about the king of Tyre. But they also seem to describe in poetically prophetic language what happened when Lucifer fell from his angelic position and became Satan. As we read these passages, I want you to look for the common theme. First, let's look at Isaiah 14, starting in verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead to the depths of the pit. And then when you look at Ezekiel 28, starting about halfway through verse 12, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stone. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. 
Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you out in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Did you see it? Did you see that which caused the downfall of Lucifer? Did you see that which triggered his transformation into Satan? What caused the highest of the high to become the lowest of the low? Maybe it would help you to meet the personification of that process. Let's meet the spiritual cancer known as pride. Of all the vices, flaws, and soul killers, I am the king. I'm the original sin. I'm number one. I am the first, and I am the best. When I take root, It is no longer a matter of if you will fall, it's when. And that's a guarantee. And there are no exceptions. I truly do love to see the mighty topple from their tower. But before one can fall, one has to be puffed up. That's where I come in. I am pride. I go in quietly, gently. And I whisper, that blessing from God, that beautiful voice, that skill with money, that brilliant mind, that dedication to your talent. Think on those good things. Think on you. While you're not being overly proud, you've got real talent. You can't help it that you're better than the other guy. You've worked hard at this. You deserve this praise. Why, you're just being yourself. 
your wisdom, your might, your hard work. You, you, you. It feels good. I woo, I distract, I elevate and inflate and puff up until you have no place else to look but down. I validate your low opinion of others. But you really are superior in virtue, in knowledge, in skills, in wealth. You stick with me and I will protect you from reality <laughs> by obscuring the truth. I will teach you in your arrogance to deprive God of his glory, of his due. I will pit you against your maker. I will rob you of God's grace. And you will fall. But hey, don't take it too hard. I'm the original sin. <laughs> I sank my claws into God's golden chair of Lucifer. I got Eve with an apple in her garden. I make angels believe they are gods. And I make men believe they are angels. I whisper in their ears, you shall be as God. You can take care of yourself. <laughs> what chance do you have against me? I can't help it that I'm so good at this. I am pride, and I am the best. I want to be kind and loving to you today. And so consider this a loving warning 
from a friend, this is going to hurt. But as anyone who has survived cancer can tell you, and we have some of them in this room, sometimes you have to hurt before you can get better. The big idea today is not complicated, but it is confrontational. Here it is, pride is a spiritual cancer, and it will slowly kill your soul unless you bring it into the light. The Bible is clear about how bad pride is. In Proverbs 8.13, it says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. And then God is speaking and he says, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Later in Proverbs 16, they come back to this theme in verse 18 where it says, Pride goes before, a dis- before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. If you ever wondered where the phrase, pride goes before a fall, comes from, it's there. Proverbs 16, 18. Verse 19 says, Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. I'm really glad you're here today. If you're new to Chapel Rock, I want to thank you for being here. I'd love to meet you when we're all done. I'll be right down front. Please come down and say hi. Uh, and just so I, I want to greet you personally. Um, if you're joining us online, thanks for logging in from wherever you are. If you're local, we'd love to have you visit us on site. Um, I want you to know, especially if you're new here, uh, at Chapel Rock, we don't, <laughs> don't normally come in, both guns blazing. Um, but we're not apologizing for it either. We tend to talk about the elephant in the room around here. And so uh, we're, we're going to talk about something pretty serious today. We're talking about how the deadly sin of pride is a spiritual cancer that will slowly kill your soul unless you bring it into the light. So it probably would be good for us to define what we're talking about. Let's talk about what pride is. Sometimes pride is a reasonable or justifiable self-respect. Or maybe a respect for another person. For example, I'm very proud of my father's work for the Lord at Ozark Christian College. What he has done over the years, my dad made a decision when I was about seven years old. He just decided, how can I make the biggest impact for my life? Would it be to spend 40 or 50 years faithfully preaching or 40 or 50 years training preachers? And as much as my dad loves to preach, he made the decision to do the latter, and it has reaped benefit after benefit for the kingdom of God. I'm very proud of my dad. And this kind of pride is okay. It's this kind of pride that the rock band U2 sings about in their song, Pride in the Name of Love, talking about Martin Luther King Jr. That is not a sin. It's a reasonable or justifiable self-respect. But that's not generally how the Bible talks about pride. Normally, pride in Scripture is an improper and overinflated self-assessment that could also be called conceit or arrogance. It is a deadly sin, and it's, that's generally the kind of pride that the Bible is talking about and condemning, usually. Essentially, sinful pride is to be jealous for a dignity that you do not possess. And that is why, my friends, God cannot be proud. God is incapable of doing this. Do you know why? Because God's dignity is infinite. God can't be proud. 
because his dignity is at an infinite level. His honor is at an infinite level. His glory is at an infinite level. He possesses honor and glory and dignity in infinite and ultimate measure. But we, creaturely beings now fallen from a former state of perfection and glory and dignity, fall victim to the spiritual cancer of pride when we assume or pretend or act as if we possess a dignity not native to us or our experience. I'm here to give you a cancer diagnosis today. And some of you may not believe me. So let's diagnose this disease. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud. That alone should be enough to get us to flee from this sin. The word proud there in James 4, 6 literally means one who considers himself above others. In fact, when you consider the large family of Hebrew words that often get translated pride in the Old Testament, you will find that almost all of them, almost all of them pertain to the idea of height or elevation. That the idea of pride in the Old Testament especially, and really running into the New Testament, is the idea that I'm putting myself above other people. And it is for that reason that the Greek philosopher Theophylact called pride the citadel and summit of all evils. So how do we diagnose this disease? I think there are really three symptoms that will help us see it in our lives. Here's the first one. The first symptom of pride is an overinflated self-assessment. It's an overinflated self-assessment. The prideful mind honors itself more highly than it should. That a person who is proud will take to himself an honor which belongs to God and God alone. It was pride that motivated the Jewish rabbi Simeon ben Yochai to say, if there are only two righteous men in the world, I and my son are the two. If only one, then I am he. I don't know if there was anyone standing near him when he said that, but if there were, they probably should have stepped to the side. I'm surprised God didn't just incinerate him right there. Pride was the sin that caused God to lower King Nebuchadnezzar to the level of the beasts of the field in Daniel 4.32. And human beings have an amazing capacity for pride. There was a comedian named Emo Phillips who said something about this. Do we have that, guys? Have that clip? Okay, I'll just tell you. Basically, what he said is, I used to think that the brain was the most amazing part of the body. And then I realized, look at what's telling me that. <laughs> right? His jokes tend to hit. They're like grenades. They, he throws them out there, and it takes a little bit, and then boom. Oh, okay. So if you've ever elevated yourself, to a higher place than you belong? I'm sorry to tell you this, but you have the spiritual cancer of pride. There's another part of the diagnosis, though. Pride is also characterized by independence from God's authority. This is what was at the heart of Adam and Eve's sin. 
Instead of being dependent on God, they desired to be like God themselves, and in doing so brought ruin on the whole human race. Pride will make you reject depending on God. Now you contrast that with what Jesus said about himself in John chapter 5, verse 30, when he says, by myself I can do nothing. So when you say, I don't need God, you are putting yourself above Jesus Christ. That's why this is called a deadly sin. That's why the imagery on the stage is so grim. Because this is serious stuff. Jesus gloried in depending on the Father. Pride glories in its own self-worth. So if you've ever read a passage in the Bible and immediately dismissed it because you thought you know better than God, you have this cancer. If you've ever read a verse and thought, I'm not doing that, sorry to tell you this, but you have this disease. But listen, it's not just cosmos-altering, universe-corrupting, creation-destroying, fruit-feeding frenzies that reveal a rejection of God's authority. There's one more symptom. There's a third symptom that helps us diagnose pride, and it's contempt for others. Maybe you remember what the Pharisee said in Jesus' parable in Luke 18 when he saw the tax collector at the temple. Do you remember? He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thank you that I'm not like this guy. And Jesus tells us that the Pharisee beat, his, or that the tax collector beat his breast, something that culturally only women did. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he said, Jesus said it was the tax collector who went home justified, not the Pharisee. You see, pride relegates every other mortal to a minor role in life. Pride's only use for others is as a backdrop to our own brilliance. Listen to me. If pride consumes you, then in the movie of your life, you are the director, the producer, the star, and the supporting cast, and everybody else is just an extra. And so if you want to do some tests to determine the level of pride in your life, let me give you three tests. The first is the test of precedence, P-R-E-C-E-D-E-N-C-E, precedence, being first. Here's the test. How do you react when another person is selected for a position that you wanted? Are you jealous of them or joyful for them? If someone else is picked ahead of you, You may have this issue. The second test is the test of sincerity. Here's what happens, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we will say bad things about ourselves (laughs) that we're not sincere. If someone pays you a compliment and, and, and you might say something to the effect of, you know, I just... I just got lucky. I I wasn't really trying. I was just kind of in the right place at the right time. Here's the test. How would you respond if someone else said that about you? (laughs) So someone says, wow, this person is really good at their job. And someone else says about you, oh, they just got lucky. They happened to be at the right place at the right time. (gasps) Oh, 
pride. If the fake, false, untrue stuff we say about ourselves, trying to look humble, was actually said about you, and you would find it offensive, then this is probably something you're dealing with. The third test is the test of criticism. How do you respond to criticism? Do you immediately try to justify and defend yourself? See, the truly humble will, will take any criticism, whether it's right or wrong, knowing that maybe where there's smoke, there's fire. And maybe that what, they might not be exactly right, but there might be an area of your life that you need to look into. Do you remember what God said in Proverbs 8, 13? It's pretty clear. I hate pride. He hates pride. Can you, now, now, this will blow your mind because, oh, God is a God of love. Yes, he is. But by definition, that also makes him a God of hate. <laughs> he has to. In order for him to love his son, he's got to hate unrighteousness. <laughs> he sent his son to die, so he hated it so much, he wanted to get rid of it. He loves you so much. And God says, I hate pride. Do you know why? Do you know why God wants to eradicate pride in the lives of his people? Because pride, like cancer, infects everything it touches. And just as there are germs that turn nourishing food into deadly poison, pride is a spiritual cancer that turns vices or that turns virtues into vices and blessings into curses. Think about it this way: beauty plus pride equals vanity. Zeal plus pride equals tyranny. Wisdom plus pride equals arrogance. Free speech plus pride equals criticism. Do you get the idea? Pride defiles everything it touches. Has it touched you? Because it sure has me. And I had to learn it the hard way. When I was in college... One of the guys on my dorm floor was a guy named Sam. Sam grew up in Rochester, New York. He's now a pastor out in Oregon. <laughs> he grew up in the city, and he's now, like, killing animals in the woods. Uh, he's a, you know, bearded hunter dude. Uh, it's an amazing change in Sam's life. But he, he flew home for Thanksgiving one year, and uh, the person who was supposed to pick him up at the airport in Springfield, Missouri, about an hour and 15, 20 minutes away from Joplin, had to, had to bail on him at the last minute. And so he called, and I happened to be at home. He had my dad's phone number. And so he called the house, and dad said, I can't go, but Casey's free. He can go. And so he sent me to go pick up my friend. We were on the same dorm floor together. Sam and I were good buddies. And I, so I drove an hour and 20 minutes to the Springfield airport and, to pick up Sam. And, and we got in the car, and we're coming home, and we're just talking. And out of the clear blue, wasn't expecting it, don't know where this came from. Sam looked across from me in the passenger seat. He's sitting there, and I'm driving. And he says, you know what, Casey? You're arrogant. You're a really prideful guy. I'm sitting here going, I just drove an hour and 20 minutes at the moment's notice to pick you up. Get out. No, I didn't do that. Um... I wanted to. I don't remember what came out of my mouth next. I'm pretty sure I tried to justify myself. It stunned me. It was, it was like, oh! But it made me aware of a sin in my life that was present then and I've struggled with ever since. I'm confessing to you, 
This is a difficult passage for me. And so if I'm hitting you hard between the eyes, please understand I have preached this sermon to the mirror over and over and over again. I'm not apologizing for the hard things. I don't like hurting you, but y'all, I need to hear this. And I'm guessing in a group of people this size, I'm not alone. I love you, so let me warn you. What I'm about to say next is going to step on your toes. Okay, you ready? Did you wear your steel-toed boots? Here we go. Nobody, nobody listening to me now is immune from this sin. Whether you're here in the room or you're watching online or you're watching the recording later, nobody is immune from this. Every single one of us here is guilty of this. There's a reason that pride is almost always listed as the chief, as the first of the seven deadly sins. It was going to be the first in this sermon, but a scheduling conflict made it be this week, the first in this series. And I think that's appropriate because it's right in the middle. It's right in the middle of all this mess that we deal with. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your bulletin or open a new note in your device. Or I want you to write down one area of your life where you struggle with pride. If you want to shield your bulletin from your, you know, person sitting next to you so they don't see it, um, that's also a sign of pride. Um, <laughs> see how that works? But I want you to write it down. See, because this is not a matter of if there is one. This is a matter of which one. It's not if. It's which. Like physical cancer, you can't just pretend you don't have it. In order to accurately diagnose the disease, you have to confront the reality of what it's doing to you. And my goal this morning is to get you to confront that reality so that you can get better. Write it down. I'll give you a bit. Okay, now what? Let's talk about how to treat the disease. The treatment, just like physical cancer, is one of chemotherapy. The chemotherapy of the cross. So talk to me, church. When Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins, what else died with him that day? Sin, our pride. Jesus killed it on the cross. The cruci- when, when Jesus died on the cross of Christ and the cruciform life that goes with it is the only way to drag the pride in your life out of the darkness, kicking and screaming into the light where it can die. And this chemotherapy process has three phases. Here's the first phase. Number one, the, phase one is perception. Perception. Humility has been defined as the virtue by which a person becomes conscious of their own unworthiness. Listen, you will never conquer a sin that you're not conscious of. You have to perceive the pride in your life to eradicate it. And so an essential part of getting rid of pride is to ask God to show you who you really are. Pray this prayer frequently if you want to root pride out of your life. God, show me who I really am. Let me see myself through your eyes, God. It's like getting an MRI of the spiritual cancer that you have. It will show you where it exists in your life. 
And maybe, maybe some of you, some of you will be bold enough to go one step further and say, God, help me get rid of it. Now be very careful praying that prayer. One of the most dangerous prayers you can pray is, God, please humble me. You know why? Because <laughs> he will. He'll do it. And it's not fun. It's, it's, it's bad, man. It hurts. Do you know why the Bible says over and over and over again, humble yourselves before the Lord? Do you know why it says that? Because when he humbles you, it hurts. Better for you to do it yourself. So if you're up for an adventure, if you're up for a dangerous prayer, you just pray, God, please humble me, and he will do it. That's the first phase is seeing this perception phase. Here's the second one, the redemptive radiation of Jesus. So I got good news for you today. God takes preventative measures against pride in the lives of his people. He disciplines them. This discipline is his redemptive radiation. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul gets a supernatural vision from God. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is given this vision. He gets to see heaven. He said he was taken up to the third heaven, the highest heaven. He gets to see it. And the text says that in order to keep me from becoming conceited, he was given a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was exactly. Some people think it was he was not, his, his vision faded. Other people think it was the Corinthian church. <laughs> I don't know. But he says that, that that disciplinary act of God was so that he would not become conceited having received that vision. You see, listen to me, the limitations and the pains and the thwarted ambitions and the seeming displeasure of heaven in our lives are all preventative measures to guard against a worse affliction, a life filled with pride. So if you want to see your pride die, you learn to view the frustrations and pains of this life as God's loving radiation treatment to kill it off. That's how he humbles us. When the way that we learn to respond to hardship in a Christ-like way and to learn to even thank God for our pain humbles us. It roots pride out of our lives. It helps us become more like Jesus. Now that'll take you to the bottom. So then what? Well, just like with this world's cancer, chemotherapy takes you all the way to the bottom. Does Some of you know this from personal experience. You feel like, I want to die. Then the next phase, the third phase, is proper nutrition. The, the doctors have to start building you back up again. And that's the third phase in this. The final step in getting rid of your pri the pride in your life is the contemplation of Christ. This means focusing your mind on things outside yourself, primarily Jesus. Listen, all our best efforts of self-discovery and self-discipline will be inadequate in and of themselves to root out the cancer of pride in our lives. It requires a radical and supernatural change of heart and mind. And so as you fix your mind on Christ, pride will shrivel and wither and shrink in the light of the gospel of Jesus' humility. 
Think about what he did when he came here with us. The highest of the high, the most high, came down here and he put on flesh and he lived among us. And he cast aside pride and he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the more you contemplate him, he will nourish your soul. The more you fix your mind on Jesus, he will nourish you, he will build you back up and more and more pride will get rooted out of your life. That's why Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate it with people of low position. Do not be conceited. That's what Jesus did when he came. And you think on him to nourish your soul. In his book, A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life, over 250 years ago, the Puritan preacher William Law wrote, pride must die in you or nothing in heaven can live in you. Is that overstatement? I, I don't think so. Here's something the Apostle John wrote that helps us realize how serious this is. In John, 1 John 2, 15, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, we'll talk about that in two weeks, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. I love how that ends. It ends with life. That's the opposite of cancer. That's perfect. That's awesome. It's true, friends. Pride goes before fall. Oh, and you will fall. You will either fall now on your knees in humility and repentance before a holy, righteous, and redeeming and loving God, or you will fall later out of compulsion before your risen and returning Lord of glory, your judge. So which one is it? Are you going to continue to walk in the darkness of pride? Or are you going to walk out of the darkness and into the light of humility and love that we have in Jesus? Did you hear me today? Pride is a spiritual cancer and it will slowly kill your soul unless you bring it into the light. And there, in the light of the gospel of the cross, it will shrivel up and die. That cancer will die. Listen, I don't know if we'll find a cure for cancer in this world, but Jesus has already cured it in the next. And he can cure the cancer of pride in you too here, if you'll let him. The only way to have your spiritual cancer cured is to lay down your life at the foot of the cross. Will you do that today? I'm going to ask our musicians to come back out and they're going to lead us in a time of decision. We don't normally do this in the middle of our service, but we are today. And we're going to ask you if, if this is an area where God is moving in your heart, maybe, maybe you're here today and pride has just run your life for way too long. And you need to come to the front and today's the day when you're going to confess the lordship of Jesus and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit of God into your life and begin the life of discipleship where Jesus starts to kill off the old you. 
And if the old you, the proud you, would be willing to die in the waters of baptism, then Jesus will create a new you, a humble you, an others-focused you. Will you let him do that today? Maybe the old you is walking around like a zombie from the night of the living dead. And it's time to repent of your pride and kill off the old you again. We've got decision counselors down here who, if there's an area where you've accepted Christ, but you're struggling in this area again, We'll have folks here that pray with you and pray for you about that. And maybe you just know that there's a conversation that you need to have. You're not exact. God's doing something in your heart and you don't totally understand it. And if that's where you're at today, then as we sing, instead of coming forward, you go back. You go to the next step room under the yellow awning. And we have leaders there who are equipped and ready to have that conversation with you to kind of be a filter for your experience. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we sing together and you respond as God leads you.